All right, praise God. We'll turn to our master text, if you would, in the book of John. We're going to look at John 15 one more time today. That's been a master text that we've been on for quite a, a little bit, and we're going to look at that again today. So go ahead and turn to John chapter 15, if you will, and we're going to be continuing and actually ending this series that we've been on for the last two months called Times of Refreshing. And before you get there, before we read that master text, I just want to give you a few little preliminary thoughts here. You know, when I called this series Times of Refreshing, um, you know, I didn't really anticipate, you know, sometimes I, I, I start a series not really knowing where God is taking me, and I'll, I'll put together the first teaching and then just let it flow and the Holy Spirit directs me through the rest of the, the series together. And I ended up talking a lot about principles of the vine. So even though this series is called Times of Refreshing, we've looked a, a lot about and dealt with principles of the vineyard quite a bit based upon that John 15 passage that we're going to read again today. So we've talked about uh, a lot about God's methods of disciplining, pruning, and also abiding, all of which we see in that master text in John chapter 15. So my title for this series, not today's title for this teaching, but my title for this series, Times of Refreshing, may seem a bit off, like what's all that got to do with times of refreshing? What's, what do these principles of the vineyard have to do with times of refreshing? Well, if you remember, we began this series eight weeks ago with a passage from the book of Acts, where it says that repentance precedes times of refreshing. So that's where it all begins with repentance. But then when we learn these secrets of the vineyard that we've been looking at from John chapter 15, we learn by experience that times of refreshing can be ongoing. Amen? See, that's true because as we are walking closely with the Lord, um, as, as we learn to do that, we learn that that can be light and life to our souls no matter what stage of life that we're in, even when everything else around us is in upheaval, God's word can be light and life to our soul as we learn to, first of all, repent and then uh, walk closely with him. I want to emphasize that as we walk closely to the Lord, that can be light and life to our souls, even when everything else around us is in upheaval. Amen. So these secrets from the vineyard that I'm referring to today in today's title of this, this teaching aren't really secrets at all, but I call them that because it seems like most of the church today are unfamiliar with some of the things that we've been talking about in this series and in today's teaching. So with that said, let's go ahead and read our master text. And when you find John chapter 15, go ahead and stand up with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of God's holy and majestic word. I usually have us read through chapter uh, or a verse 7 in chapter 15, but we're going to go all the way through 1 through 10 today. So here we go. Jesus speaking, I am the vine and my father is the gardener or the vine dresser, your version may say. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. <clears throat> you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. 
If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And all God's people say, Amen. go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. All right. <clears throat> as we get rolling here, I want to talk just briefly about being connected to our life source. As a matter of fact, that's kind of the theme throughout our teaching today, being connected to your life source. I want to give you a little illustration of this truth and where I'm going with this teaching. Well, on a rocky hillside in the Rhine Valley in Germany, there's a vineyard that's been producing an abundant harvest of grapes for generations. You see a picture of it right there. And uh, you see close up, obviously, you can be, see very clearly those vines, but that, that green on the hill out there, those are also all vine uh, grapevine branches on that rocky hillside. So for years, people have wondered how these vines can flourish in such a rugged and inhospitable environment. Well, it's been explained that uh, the roots of these ancient plants can be traced to a nearby river, which you see in that picture there as well. Well, that should remind us that uh, we can always be connected to God, no matter what our environment or no matter what our circumstances. See, God invites us to be tapped into his purposes and his power all the time, just like that vineyard in the Rhine Valley is tapped into that river. That's a really good picture of how we're to be tapped into God so that no matter what environment you're in, no matter how rugged, no matter what circumstances you're in, you can always be tapped into your life source. Well, speaking of being closely connected to your life source, to God, there was a man in the 1600s in Paris who worked in a monastery there who became known as simply Brother Lawrence. Some of you may have heard of him. And uh, Brother Lawrence is best known for his writings about his intimacy with God. And those writings were compiled into a book after his death that became known as practicing the presence of God, practicing the presence of God. And Brother Lawrence described his relationship with God like this. Look at the screen. I do nothing else but abide in his presence. And I do this by simple attentiveness and a habitual loving turning of my eyes upon him. This I call a wordless and secret conversation between the soul and God, which no longer ends. That's a great way to describe being connected to your life source all the time. But I want to reintroduce you to somebody that I talked about last week, a gal by the name of Annie, which gave us her testimony about abiding with God. I want to give you another perspective from her life and her testimony about how this works in the real world. 
Okay? So look at the screen. Let's follow uh, along here as we, we read another part of Annie's testimony. She says, I'm putting away groceries, and the kids are tearing through the house with bags over their heads, screaming. Anybody relate to that? I can be a little frazzled, but inside I'm saying, Jesus, you are here with me, in me, around me. Thank you for food and for my noisy kids. I'm not always successful at this, but I try to take Jesus with me wherever I go. We keep each other company. I think that's a really great way to think about abiding in God's presence all day long. And it doesn't have to be confined to your little you know, prayer time and Bible study time. It should be fellowship with him all day long, right? So on that note then, if abiding is the, the key to unlimited abundance, why are there so few Annie's? And why are there so few Brother Lawrence's? See, I believe the answer goes beyond just laziness and indifference, although that's certainly a part of it. But I just think that a lot of people have never even been taught to abide. And we talked a little bit about that last week as I taught you some principles of abiding. And others are hindered by damaging misconceptions, such as the idea that God doesn't really like them, which we also talked about last week. So today, then, I'm going to give you two more uh, misconceptions that keep good people from experiencing the riches of abiding. And here's the first one right here. Misconception number one, abiding is based on feelings. That's misconception number one. See, folks, listen, communion with God is not necessarily a sensation, I'm going to say that again. Communion with God, fellowship with God, abiding with Him is not necessarily a sensation. And that may come as a huge relief if you think that you have to have an emotional rush or a sentimental feeling when you spend time with God. You won't always, and you don't need to. And I want to talk for just a minute about the damage that that misconception, this misconception can, can cause that abiding is based on feelings. That misconception can cause great damage to people's relationship with the Lord. Because let me tell you about two family members. Uh, I have a father who's a, a, approaching 90 years of age now. He was raised in a very um, Pentecostal, not that I'm against that, um, I was raised in more of the charismatic Pentecostal Assembly of God persuasions. I think there's a, a lot of good things that come out of the Pentecostal persuasion. But did you know that with every denomination and every style, church style, there's great strengths and there's also weaknesses? Did you know that? None of us have it perfect. If we could all come together, man, we would be a force but we've got all these little factions and these other little stylistic things that people uh, segregate themselves into. And, and man, if we could just come together, we would learn so much from each other and be, and be a force. But in my dad's case, he was raised in a, a very rigid um, apostolic Pentecostal church in uh, the, the Deep South. And in that particular church, it's not a blanket statement over apostolic Pentecostals, but in his particular church, it was all about the emotion. It was all about the goosebump. And it did great damage to him growing up because he felt like when he wasn't feeling that emotion, when he wasn't feeling that goosebump, something must be wrong with me. 
My relationship with God must not be right because I'm not feeling what I see other people feel. And, and my family or my siblings kind of grew up with a little bit of that mindset. As a matter of fact, I can be, remember being at one of my previous churches where Donna and I led worship for many years. And I remember my sister attending there. And we just had a, like this blowout service where the, the Spirit of God was just moving and people were crying and weeping and being touched by God. And I saw my sister in the back row and she just had this really fallen countenance to her face. And so after service, I went and, and sat next to her and I, I asked her, is anything wrong? And she said, well, <clears throat> I just, I don't really feel anything right now like I see a lot of these other people feeling and it made her feel like less of a Christian. It made her feel like God doesn't love me as much as he loves these other people that, that he's obviously touching right now. And my dad struggled with that. And I remember one time many years ago, my mother and my dad were listening to some of their favorite gospel music. And it was music that to them really moved them and, and really caused an emotional response to them. And my dad started tearing up. And uh, my mother turned and asked him if anything was wrong. And, and he said these telling words right here. He said, if I could feel like this all the time, I could be a good Christian. See, he was never taught growing up that's a walk of faith. It's not a walk of emotion. Will you feel emotion sometimes? Absolutely, and I'm not against that. But you can't live from emotion to emotion because it's a walk of faith. And see, we understand that concept in marriages, ladies and gentlemen, because, you know, I'll bet your feelings, listen to this, I'll bet your feelings for your spouse are very different during an argument than compared to over a candlelit dinner, am I right? Exactly, right. Right, so if you're smart, you don't measure the depth of your relationship with your spouse based upon your feelings at any given moment. Therefore, our walk with Christ is very similar to that. That's why our walk with Christ, abiding, is an act of faith. Write that down. Abiding is an act of faith. See, it's an expression that you value God's presence in your life more than any sensation or emotion. It, it, see, if you base your abiding on feelings, you'll come away from your private time with God sometimes disappointed. Like thinking, gosh, this just isn't working for me. It's not about an emotion. Now again, you'll have them sometimes, and that's kind of the icing on the cake. And that's wonderful when they happen, but it's not based upon that. And we need to understand that. The same is true with the church. You know, if you're looking for a feeling or a goosebump or a butterfly when you come to church, you're missing the point. Walking with God is not always emotional. Once again, that's why it's a walk of faith. Now, I always like to refer to Moses whenever I make this point because, you know, Moses experienced some of the most jaw-dropping, eye-popping miracles of anybody in the Bible. But then when he had to painstakingly write the Torah by hand on scrolls, I wonder how goosebumpy and butterfly that was. <laughs> Probably not a whole lot. When he had to sit down at the judge's bench and judge uh, probably thousands 
of complaining people every day that had issue with one another and judge those cases. I wonder how goosebumpy that was. So in between a lot of wonderful angelic experiences, there was just a lot of tedious work in between those that Moses had to perform. And the same is going to be true with you. Does God kind of show up in some ways that touch you emotionally and bring tears and and, and cause you to have those goosebumps and butterflies as you, you interact with his presence? Absolutely. Not minimizing any of that. But see, those, that's probably going to be the exception rather than the rule. You're just going to have to put one foot in front of the other and walk by faith every day. So walking with God, again, is not always emotional. That's why it's a walk of faith. Okay, misconception number two. We can abide in Jesus without obeying him. That is a terrible misconception. And as a matter of fact, look at uh, Jesus' words from John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me. That's from our master text. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me. And we could paraphrase Jesus' statement like this. Look at the screen. If you want to abide with me, you have to go where I'm going. If you want to do your own thing, you're on your own. That's kind of the paraphrase there. See, you can enjoy an emotional worship experience on Sunday. Maybe some of you had a little bit of an emotional response this morning to the worship. And if you did, that's great. Um, and, and by the way, before I, I continue with the thought that I was, I'm not, the Lord planted this in my, my heart just now. I want to share this. And I've shared this with you before, actually, but some of you haven't heard it. When Donna and I were worship directors at another church, this is a very charismatic church that we were at. And I remember um, one gentleman walked up to me after one of the worship services and said, man, when you all lead worship, the glory of God is so thick in this place, it's like you can cut it with a knife. And you know what I said to him? I said, that's awesome that you feel that way. But you know what? Most of the time when I lead worship, I don't feel a thing. And that took him aback. It was like, huh? Wait a minute, why, why, why is it that we'll feel all this glory of God in, in the room while you all lead worship? I mean, you're not feeling anything? Well, first of all, when, when I'm leading worship, m my mind is going in like 16 different directions. I'm thinking about musical production, if, what's the Lord want to say, chords on the guitar, got to remember the words. There's a lot that has to go into worship leading, and so I don't always feel what you might be feeling. And so it took him aback when I said, I, I don't really feel that much. I mean, sometimes I do. But I don't really feel that much when I, when I lead worship. And he said something to me that I think, my, my first reaction when he said this, is that he was offering me condolences for my boring spiritual life. But the more I thought about what he said, and he said this, he said, wow, you're really a man of faith, aren't you? And again, hey, amen, young one. <laughs> Um, and the, the, again, I, when he first said that, I thought, wow, he's offering me condolences for my, my, my boring spiritual life. But the more I thought about it, the more it encouraged me. Because what is it that pleases God? Hebrews eleven six, Faith is what pleases God. Faith is what pleases God, not goosebumps and butterflies, as wonderful as those are when they come. Faith pleases God. So see, you can have an emotional worship experience on Sunday, 
But if you pursue a selfish and sinful lifestyle throughout the week, you will never succeed at abiding. Should I say that again? You can have a wonderful emotional worship experience on Sunday. But if you go home and then throughout the week pursue a selfish and sinful lifestyle, you will never succeed at abiding closely with the Spirit of God. So, on that note then, pay close attention to the screen and you might want to write this down. Disobedience always creates a breach in our relationship with God. Disobedience always creates a breach in our relationship with God. I didn't say God doesn't love you. I didn't say that. It means that's an opportunity for the Satan to come in and begin to accuse you and begin to think that you know, you're a worthy, good-for-nothing worm of a Christian and you have trouble then moving forward. It creates, a lot of times when people like blow it terribly, they want to run from God rather than run to God. Does that make sense? So it creates a breach. And boy, Satan will jump on that with both feet. Amen. So then, I want to talk for a minute here about how less equals more. We touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to elaborate on it today. You know, last week we talked about how when you start producing abundant fruit in your life, uh, God may not necessarily want you to produce more fruit by working harder for the kingdom. In fact, he may want you to work a little less so that you can spend more time cultivating a close relationship with him. So by now, on that note, you might be struggling with the basic math of that kind of abiding. So you might be wondering how working less for God in order to spend more time with him can equal up to more fruit in your life. Well, one reason is that when you abide, God rewards you by supernaturally multiplying your efforts. You might want to write that down. When you abide, we have a close abiding relationship with the Lord. God rewards you by supernaturally multiplying your efforts, praise God. Another reason is that God can do more with less because, again, look at the screen. This is also in your notes. What happens in us, folks, what happens in us when we abide leads to more productivity. Hallelujah. More productivity. See, abiding helps us to sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. We learn to recognize his still, small voice and become familiar with his ways. Right? See, abiding helps us to accomplish more because we're more in tune with his directives. Now, I want to give you a little bit of an example of that. Some of you who were here last week saw this in operation. You know, last week, um, right in the middle of my teaching, God kind of interrupted me and interrupted us so I could go minister to Don uh, right in the middle of my teaching. And if I hadn't have been sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that would never have happened, and Don would not have gotten the deep ministry that he was able to get last week. So, because I've been abiding, and because I'm listening to the direction of the Holy Spirit, even as I'm teaching, um, I just had this like sense, like, like paused me, and I just turned to Don and began ministering to him, and that 
thing deeply, deeply, you could tell, those of you who were here and saw that, deeply minister to Don. That wasn't in my notes. I, you know, that's, sometimes you just have to be directed by the Holy Spirit. And when you take a risk like that, I've never like stopped my teaching just to like put the brakes on everything and go minister to one particular person right in the middle of the teaching. I've never done that. But when you take a risk, when the Holy Spirit whispers something and you take a risk, not really knowing, oh God, am I hearing right here? But when I acted upon that, bam, the, the Lord deeply ministered to Don. That's what I mean, is when you're abiding, you're more in tune with God's directives. Am I making sense so far? You know, the disciples learned this principle, um, as was evidenced in their preaching and their healing, um, when they went out to, to preach and heal. And as a matter of fact, I want to show you what Acts 4 13 says about the disciples. Look at the screen. It says, now when, when they, the people of the, the region, the Jews, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized, hmm, they had been with Jesus. So they attributed what they saw in these uneducated and untrained men to their time with Jesus. It was a reflection on Jesus when these untrained men were able to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit and minister profoundly. Praise God. Now, <clears throat> continuing with this train of thought then, abiding carries the promise of answered prayer. That's another benefit of abiding. It carries the, the promise of answered prayer. Look at this verse from John chapter 15, uh, verses 7 and 8. Again, uh, a little portion from our master text. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it, will, it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So listen, abiding was directly connected to the disciples' mission of bearing fruit. And it's directly connected to your mission and mine of bearing fruit as well, abiding. You see, nothing pleases God more, ladies and gentlemen, than when we ask for things that God already wants to give. Nothing pleases Him more than we, when we ask for things that He already wants to give. See, when we spend time with Him, what happens, when we do that consistently, when we spend time with Him consistently, then over time what happens is that His priorities begin to take over and motivate us, and that changes our prayer life. See, we begin to ask for things that are in line with His will and are close to His heart. That's why it, that verse makes that promise. So it's very important that you spend significant and regular time with the Lord so that He can begin to change your desires. He can begin to change your, your motives, and that will change your prayer life. And that's when you'll begin to see much more impact from your prayers. So, if you could just behold the Father's face, it would change everything. I'm going to elaborate on what I mean by this. Well, there's a memorable scene in John Steinbeck's classic novel, The Grapes of Wrath. And in this scene, there's an Oklahoma family 
that is standing out in front of their house watching as a dust storm approaches. And the working men in that family are watching the horizon, silently contemplating their chances of of, uh, escaping disaster with their crops. Well, the children are uh, clinging to their parents' knees and watching the horizon too. But the women, on the other hand, only watch the men's faces. See, all that matters to the women is very clearly written there on the faces of the men and their expressions as all this unfolds. So, let me ask you a question. Have you gazed upon the Father's face recently? Have you watched the Father's face recently? I don't mean literally, but figuratively, of course, as you abide with him. See, I can't think of anything else that would tell you more about your present state spiritually and more about your future than doing just that, beholding the Father's face figuratively as we abide with him. May I uh, describe what I see written on the Father's face where you are concerned? If you're in a season of discipline, and by the way, uh, these different stages, discipline, uh, pruning, and abiding, if you haven't heard the previous teachings in this series, I encourage you to go back on the website and and get those because if if you haven't heard those, you may not even understand what um, the process of disciplining, pruning, and abiding is that I'm going to be referring to. So um, those of you that have been here, you un- already understand that context. But if you haven't heard that, go back and listen so you can kind of understand later what I'm talking about right now. So here's what I see and picture written on the Father's face where you are concerned. If you're in a season of discipline right now, I picture the vine dresser kneeling beside you in the cool of the morning. He's reaching down to intervene in your life to lift you up and to bring you back to a place of fruitfulness. The look on his face conveys concern, but not disgust or anger. He doesn't see you as a chronic loser, but rather a chosen branch. One that might be struggling right now, but a branch that is one choice away from changing the course of your life for the better. And that's what he wants for you. Now, if you're in a season of pruning, the vine dresser is standing beside you um, with some rather serious looking shears. But he's not unhappy. In fact, the look on his face conveys his great expectations in you. He can foresee a time where you will respond in faith to the test that he's put before you today. If you're in a season of abiding, I picture the vine dresser looking at you with pleasure and satisfaction. Just being near you is a great delight to him. He gazes upon you like a gardener might proudly gaze upon an abundant grape harvest. So now that you know that God is always for you, his intentions for you are always good. He always loves you. You don't ever have to misunderstand his methods or his intentions toward you ever again. Even when it looks like he's abandoned you, you know that he's always working behind the scenes to bring you to a place of great 
fruitfulness eventually. So then, on that note, I want to give you some reminders right now. The first one is this, God can use you no matter what stage you're in, no matter what season you're in, God can still use you. Listen, God used the disciples to preach the kingdom and even do miracles even when they were very immature in their faith. And he can use you even if you're immature in your faith. Even if you're greatly struggling right now, he can still use you. God likes to use broken vessels. Praise God. Here's the next one. Don't compare your harvest to anyone else's. See, God's plan for your life, ladies and gentlemen, is unique, and so is your growth pattern. So don't compare your progress to anyone else's. Everyone's walk is unique. So just keep your eyes on Jesus. If you do that, you won't go wrong. The Bible says if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not wise. So just keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Praise the Lord. I also want to tell you this, that it's never too late to begin bearing fruit. Praise God. It's never too late to begin bearing fruit. And listen, don't be discouraged either about your age, young or old, or about what season you're in. See, Satan would want to, to try to discourage you if you're in a season of, of, of discipline or pruning. Satan would want to try to discourage you about your small yields, so just stand firm, knowing that God has already prepared a significant life for you that he will faithfully bring to pass if you stay close to his side. I want to say that again. I want you to get that right there. Just stand firm, knowing that God has prepared a significant life for you that he will faithfully bring to pass if you stay close to his side. Praise God. All right, I like this verse from Philippians 1, 6. So this is a great encouragement to me. Hope it is to you too. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Man, that is such a great encouragement to me because I know my own shortcomings and sometimes I get a little discouraged about my progress sometimes. I sometimes think I ought to be farther along than I am right now. And I think a lot of you have experienced that too, right? This is a great comfort to me and should be to you as well. So I'm just going to let that simmer for a moment and read that again. He, God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But folks, you do have to give him something to work with. You really do. You've got to give him something to work with. This is not just going to happen by osmosis or something. You've got to give him something to work with. And abiding, when you abide with him, that gives him something to work with. Praise God. All right, we're coming down home stretch here. So I want to talk to you for a moment about the joy of going all in. The joy of going all in. So as we come to the end of this series today, and also toward the end of this teaching, I want to shift the scene away from the vineyard, to Galilee one morning several weeks later. See, Jesus had just been crucified, and so the disciples went back to what was familiar to them, fishing. 
They had been fishing all night out on the lake without success. And as the dawn began to break, they heard a voice calling to them from the shore. Friends, do you have any fish? No, they called back. And the voice called again. Cast your nets on the right side and you'll find some. And if you have read that account in the book of John... 21, you probably already know that scene, right? You know that the men gave it a try, and as soon as they did, their nets filled up with a massive amount of fish. Now, that had been done once before with the disciples early on, so when that happened, Peter immediately knew who it was on the shore. He said, it's the Lord! And you probably remember what Peter did next, right? See, once realizing who it is, Peter drops his hold on his nets, that thing that was so familiar to him, and he took one beautiful flying leap into the waters of grace and swam to Jesus. Praise God. See, folks, listen, I want to tell you this. that It didn't matter at that moment that Peter and, his, and the other disciples had just gotten a gigantic haul of fish, which, by the way, represented a huge payday. But at that moment, all that mattered to Peter was one thing, Jesus. Jesus. Well, folks, this series that we've been on for the last two months has been intended to help you and me do just that, go all in for Jesus. Nothing held back. You see, when Peter jumped, he, he forever left behind his little dreams of success. He left behind his doubts about God's plan for him and his stubborn insistence that things should turn out according to his own expectations. And he left behind any thought that his sins outweighed God's forgiveness. Forever left behind any thought that his sins outweighed God's forgiveness. Hallelujah. You know, Peter was an impulsive guy, and that impulsive leap marked the moment of Peter's breakthrough into a life of remarkable abundance. Maybe he remembered at that moment his first encounter with Jesus. See, it was at at that moment, at that first encounter with Jesus, that Jesus told Peter, the fisherman, Peter, from now on, you'll be catching men. So by the time Peter reached the shore, maybe he'd put it all together. Catching men, bearing fruit. They're connected, aren't they? So let me throw it back at you. What about you? See, you, every one of you in this room, you were created for a life of super abundance for the Father. But you can't do it alone. You have to stay closely connected to the vine. You have to. So are you standing at a launching point in your life? Do you sense a voice calling to you? It's the Lord. And I hope you jump. And when I say jump, I don't necessarily mean you have to radically change your life or your location, but you may need to jump out of the boat of self-serving tendencies 
and go all in for Christ like you've never done before. That's the only way that you're going to fulfill his destiny for your life. Folks, there's so many people that meander along in their relationship with the Lord and they have a great call in their lives, but it never comes to pass because they never go all in. Did you hear what I said? You can take your calling to the grave. And many people do. And God doesn't want that for you or for me. That's why we're on this teaching today. You can do nothing apart from the Father. But the scriptures also tell us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Praise God. And when you go all in like that, when you take that leap out of the boat of self-serving tendencies and go all in for Jesus, let me make this guarantee, make this promise, he will not let you drown. I'm going to end with this right here. This is a, a, just a little bit of a part of my personal testimony, much of which, which you've heard before, but I like to give you little bits and pieces along the way sometimes. My personality is this. I'm, I'm an all-or-nothing kind of person. And sometimes that serves me very well, but sometimes that's a downfall for me. You know, uh, I was talking to somebody this morning. Uh, with, with every personality strength, there's also a corresponding weakness. Did you know that? Um, but if you're more focused on your weaknesses, also know that there's corresponding strengths that God's given you. Well, I'm an all-or-nothing kind of guy. And, man, when I was living in sin... I went all in. But when I came to the Lord, you know what happened? I went all in. I didn't, see, here's what a lot of people do. When they come to the Lord, they, it's almost like they dip their toe in the water and just like mm, test the water a little bit. Mm. Some people may get just a little bit more motivated than that and they may sit on the edge of the boat and dangle both feet into the water. There's others that may get just a little bit more motivated than that, and they may stand on the shore and let the water lap up around their, their knees and maybe around their waist. But they never go all in into the deep water. And I can tell you, when I came to the Lord out of the lifestyle that I was leading, where I was going all in for Satan, when I came to the Lord, it was like a 180 change. I absolutely went all in. I dove into the deep water like Peter did. All in. And he, not only did he not let me drown, but he gave me a glorious life and future and has helped me to bear much fruit for the kingdom. And there's more fruit to come for both me and for you. So what I'm telling you this morning is go all in. If you're a toe dipper, don't do that anymore. Jump in the water. If you're dangling off the edge of the boat and, and splashing your feet around in the water, jump in. If you're standing on the edge of the shore and let, letting the waves lap up around your knees, there's way more than that. Go all in. Will you have to leave some things behind? Yeah, probably. In fact, I can guarantee you, you will. There's certain people that probably will not want to be part of your life anymore and certain people that you may want to just distance yourself from. 
for a while, not because you don't love them, but because they may not be the best influence on your life right now, may not, may not be the, the right kind of people in your life right now. There are certain activities, places, you name it, that God may ask you to prune out of your life that we talked about in, in previous teachings. Will you have to leave behind some things? Yes. The Bible takes, says to take up your cross and follow him. That's a self-crucified life, and when you do that, that's when you start abiding deeply with God, and he will bear much fruit through your life. If I had the opportunity to go back and retrieve some of those things that I let go, what, do you, what decision do you think that I would make? Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? No way, no how, never. Because this is the life that will truly produce Joy, fulfillment. Now, not that you're not going to have problems. Not that you're not going to have persecution sometimes. Not that you're not going to have disappointments. You will. But this is the blessed life. That's why we call this church Blessed Life Fellowship. Because regardless of what you might be going through, God has in mind for you a blessed life, even amidst your trials. You can enjoy a blessed life if you'll just go all in and jump into the waters of grace and swim to Jesus. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.